You're listening to the Golden West Podcast. I'm Ryan, your host. Join me as I explore the best in food and wine on the West Coast, including California, Oregon, and Washington. We're about to go on a journey, exploring the people and stories behind the vineyards, farms, and kitchens. So grab a drink, fire up your grill, pull up a seat to the table, and listen in. We'll talk about it coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by Kova Coffee. Kova is a specialty roaster out of Portland, Oregon, and they're known for single-origin coffees, and they're committed to long-term, sustainable partnerships with coffee producers. Now, if you're like me, I love coffee. I always start my day off with a cup or two. I make it by hand with a pour-over, but it doesn't matter how you make yours. You can use a pour-over, maybe use a Chemex, maybe you just use a basic Mr. Coffee machine. It doesn't matter, but what does matter is the beans. You don't want those burnt, over-roasted corporate coffee beans that you find in the grocery store, and I don't even bother with that store brand stuff. So here's what you do. I'm going to make it really easy for you. Just go to kovacoffee.com, that's C-O-A-V-A, coffee.com, and use our promo code, GOLDENWEST. You'll get $5 off your first purchase. Do it now while you're thinking about it, and your coffee will show up at your doorstep as soon as you know it. Today in the show, we have Ryan McDonald. Ryan manages direct-to-consumer sales, marketing, and the hospitality program at Round Pond Estate. Enjoy my conversation with Ryan. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, it's great having you here. So I think the first thing to do is let's get into the history of Round Pond and what it was like growing up around wine and what family life looked like back then. Sure. Well, uh, we first started coming to the Valley in the late 70s. Uh, we were up on Pritchard Hill and dad bought a, a vineyard up there and uh, we didn't have a house or anything. We just camp and it was sort of a getaway. And, um, and, and then in the early eighties, we, we moved down to the Valley floor and uh, dad found a great vineyard there. And um, so we sort of resettled and that was the beginning of round pond and, you know, spent um, our formative years there and, yeah, I have just loved, uh, loved being in this business and loved uh, having this place as our sort of family center, if you will. Um, you know, dad grew up back east. He was an army brat and they traveled all over, but he spent a lot of time at West Point. Uh, his dad was a professor there. And so uh, they had a community lake that they would go to and it was called Round Pond. And so when dad, you know, bought our first piece of property here, they named it Round Pond and sort of with the hope that it would become the center of our family. And it really has. And, um, you know, that's been a special way for us all to be together and be connected. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. And then he actually bought the, the first land in the 1980s in Napa. Is that yeah. what it was? It was 1983 and it was about 40 acres. And then in 86, uh, we had an opportunity to buy uh, a big swath, about 250 acres um, across the street. And so that's when we really got into the vineyard business and farming, selling the grapes in earnest. Yeah, yeah. And during that time, you know, it's so interesting to read about the history of Napa during all the way, I guess, from the late 60s, but really starting more in the 70s and continuing to those early 80s. It was, um, you know, do you remember having any like memories during or early memories from that time? I know you were probably pretty young. I was. Um, I was. Uh, I 
was pretty young, but uh, the Valley was such a different place then. You know, it was uh, much more rural in a way, much, you know, many fewer people, fewer restaurants. I remember, um, you know, being able to bike with my family down to uh, Yountville and going to this great greasy spoon called the Diner back in those days and, you know, driving up to St. Helena and not much going on up there. You know, my brother had the pleasure of working in the vineyard, um, which, you know, I didn't do. And um, that was, you know, obviously very hard work. So I, I actually was lucky and got off easy and, you know, taught tennis up in St. Helena, the Crane Park tennis courts. So yeah, so many good memories of, of the Napa Valley. Wow, are you still a tennis player uh, t- today? Uh, I love tennis. Yeah, I don't play nearly as much as uh, you know I used to. Now that we've got kids, but um, but I love it, and it's been a great thing to do during this time for sure. Yeah, I saw an article talking about tennis being kind of a good activity to be socially distant and still get exercise and things like that. So I think people are always looking for those type of things right now to get out of the house whenever they can, I guess. So you joined Round Pond officially in 2003 to manage the uh, DTC sales and marketing and hospitality program. Talk a little about that and kind of your transition to come on board, you know, with the family winery. Yeah, well, Round Pond was, you know, very uh, sort of just beginning uh, at that point. I mean, we've been selling grapes for a long time. Um, and that was our primary business. But my brother in about 2001 had, uh, with my dad, the idea of creating a small winery so that we could make a small amount for ourselves and understand really uh, the quality of our fruit and how we could be better partners with our winery clients. So that was sort of the original vision. And uh, I got involved a couple of years later. We were um, just starting to produce our olive oil. So I kind of jumped in with that. And again, we were just starting to make our first vintage of wine. So sort of started to build the brand and what's this going to look like and what's our vision. And um, the vision definitely grew. Uh, You know, we had the idea that we really wanted to bring people to the property. And so started to build out a potential hospitality program, which was really exciting. And back in those days, you know, food wasn't a big part of what most wineries offered uh, in tasting rooms. And so we were really excited to, since food is such a big part of what we do with our olive oils and our other gourmet products and obviously the wine. So we were really excited to bring people into sort of a homey environment that felt very welcoming um, and introduce them to the products and combination of food and wine together. Yeah, and I thought that would be a great place to start out is talking about the olive oil and specialty gourmet foods, because as you mentioned, a lot of people, you know, do drink wine with food and they're into doing different pairings. And um, the olive oil is something that really sets you apart in some of the other products. Talk a little about that program and kind of, uh, you know, how it got going. Well, you know, uh, the reason we started doing it originally was because mom and dad uh, used to come up when they were in their 20s um, from San Francisco where they were living and go to an old olive oil factory in St. Helena and pick up uh, fresh oil sort of by the gallon, if you will. And so uh, dad got really excited about the idea of fresh oil. And so we put in our own olive mill here and um, 
got 12 acre orchard of trees. And so we started making it. And that was sort of the original idea was that we would have people come to the property and, you know, taste fresh oil and, and be a part of that. And um, I think a side, a side benefit that we didn't anticipate, but has really turned out to be true is that people would come for the olive oil and then learn that we made wine and it sort of became a great uh, point of entrance for, for people to learn about us. Yeah. That's something that really sets, you know, round pond apart. And, um, you know, let's get into a couple of the offerings here and kind of what the program looks like for people who might be interested to, um, to try some of these products out. So I guess starting with just a couple of the olive oil offerings here. So we have four estate olive oils, if you will. We do two, an Italian varietal, Spanish varietal, and then a Meyer lemon and a blood orange. And, you know, what's really special is that, and I don't know how much you know about oil, but it's all about freshness. And so it goes from our trees to our mill within 45 minutes. And we very quickly, you know, produce a wonderful fresh oil that we keep in stainless steel, you know, at at cold temperatures. And then we bottle it on demand so that every bottle is incredibly fresh. Uh, And there's nothing like, you know, a great fresh oil. It's sort of the difference between um, orange juice uh, from an orange and and out of the can kind of thing. And so um, and then the citrus is a labor of love. I love that we've got a lot of citrus on the property, both blood orange and Meyer lemons. So we cut and juice each one and we take the rind, throw it in with the olives and the mill. And, um, and then the, the result is an incredible, you know, marriage of citrus and, and olives. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point about fresh oil. And for people who have tasted the difference, I've definitely tasted the difference. I, I don't know that much about it, but you can, you know, I can, I can really taste it. Um, there was a piece on, I think it was 60 minutes. Gosh, I think this was a few years ago talking about some issues with, uh, I think it was Italian olive oil where you might not be getting, um, it might not actually be a hundred percent olive oil. There might be like other things in there and there's, you know, there's a lot of issues with, with big companies and labeling. So, you know, with, with round pond and other artisanal you know, oils, at least that's, I think a, a huge benefit is, you know, what you're getting, like you said, it's a, sp- a state grown uh, olives and I'm looking at the packaging here and it's a uh, really beautiful packaging too. Thank you. Yes, we uh, we love beautiful packaging. That's definitely um, something you know we care a lot about. Yeah, and so uh, all of the olives you mentioned the twelve acre site uh, are all the olives grown there, or do you also source from other areas as well? No, they're all grown here. Okay, nice. And I'm looking at you know some of the other products here. So you have the um the wine vinegar and artisan syrup talk a little about those sure yeah so um right around when we were starting to produce our own olive oil we uh began working with someone named paul bertoli who's a chef out of oakland and um he had the idea that you could do varietal vinegar single varietal vinegars and that each would taste very unique to that particular varietal and that was an unusual concept back then. And so we got really excited about making, you know, two different uh, style red wine vinegars. So we did a Cabernet Merlot and then we did a Sangiovese Nebbiolo Petit Verdot blend. 
Uh, and indeed, they're very different. And again, super fresh, um, which has been really fun. And then the syrups, they grew out of all this extra juice that we had when we would make our citrus oils. And Cowgirl Creamery at the time was looking for something to pair with their cheeses other than honey, sort of a uh, unique offering. And so we started making citrus syrup uh, probably uh, 15 years ago or so. And um, and that's become something that's really popular and people love. We also do a balsamico, which is fun, just teeny amounts, you know, 150 bottles or so, but um, true balsamico, which is, which is exciting. Yeah, and I'm looking at the single varietal vinegars here, and it's really interesting as how you point out the Cabernet Merlot, um, and then you have the Sangiovese uh, Nebbiolo red wine vinegar, um, the Sauve Blanc. So it's that's something really unique that I've actually never seen before. Um, and uh, I think people would find that interesting. Like to your per, you know to your palate, are you able to pick up uh, the differences and almost kind of like a wine where you're getting different notes and flavors and things like that? Completely. Yeah, they really are very true to varietals. So the cab is big and rich and, you know, strong. And the Sangiovese and Neb is, you know, much softer, fruitier uh, on the palate. And the way to taste it, if you've never done this, it's kind of fun. You take a sugar cube and put it in and then quickly uh, suck the liquid out. And that way you can taste the fruit versus the acid and um, you really can get a sense for the difference. Interesting. Wow. Well, that's something people are going to want to check out. Um, you know, these, these products here now, the olive oil tasting um, what's, well, what we can get into kind of the tasting and, and some of the programs. I know things are changing so rapidly, so <laughs> we can kind of touch on that at the end. Um, but Right now, you can go to the website and, and order right here on the website I'm seeing. So we'll put a link in the show notes for people who want to check that out. Let's talk a little bit about the wine. You mentioned selling fruit and then putting together your own program. What does the program look like right now? Well, we most focus on Cabernet Sauvignon, which makes sense being in Rutherford. And that's really what Rutherford does best. Uh, we also do some Sauvignon Blanc. And then we have these very small offerings of uh, different varietals. So we've got Nebbiolo, we've got a Sangiovese, Petit Verdot, um, different things. And we sort of put those together based on the year and what's looking the best and then make a, a small offering of that every year. And that's, that's really fun. So dad loves uh, Nebbiolo, for instance. So we put in a small amount of Nebbiolo, uh, a couple of rows on the property. And so that sort of developed its own little cult following of, you know, very unusual uh, Napa Valley Nebbiolo. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking here on the website on the reds, you've got the proprietary super Tuscan. So again, with the Sangiovese and uh, the Cabsov, um, and I, I can see the Italian influence, not only with the olive oil and then and with the wines and some of these varietals. And then proprietary left bank blend, which, you know, for people who are familiar with the left bank and the right bank, this one is, I'm guessing this one is a mostly Merlot-based blend, or, or at least a mix, I guess, of right. Cab Cabernet Merlot. Right. And it's, it's definitely our sort of California version, if, if you will, of those. Um, and so it's really fun. Yeah, and then the one that people are probably familiar with is the the flagship, so the Rutherford 
Cabernet Sauvignon. I'm looking at the 2017 vintage here, which is um, priced at a, at a really great value too. I think I've had this wine before and I've seen it on uh, restaurant menu lists like Hillstone or Rutherford Grill or different places like that. Talk a little about the flagship wine here. Well, sure. So um, the Rutherford is is something special because it's really the, the first wine we started with. Uh, we started with 900 cases or so with the 2002 vintage. Uh, and then we made about, I don't know, 100 cases or something of the Nebbiolo. And so this was where we started. It's sort of the heart of what we do. It's very Rutherford in style. You know, it has that sort of um, terroir, the Rutherford dust, as everyone refers to it. And um, it's a really nice balanced wine. So we, you know, we don't go for over extraction. It's uh, just got a great balance of fruit and acid and tannin. Yeah, and I've, I've had this wine and that's something that uh, appeals to me is something that's, um, like you said, in balance and not too over extracted, but you're still getting that deep, rich Napa Cab profile. So there's been a, a lot of talk about a movement to more restrained wines. And some people think that went a little bit too far, which I, which I agree with sometimes too. So yeah, I think the goal is, uh, is, is, developing a wine in that Napa style. So you're going to have, you know, rich and and probably ripe fruit, but to have it be balanced. And wines from Rutherford, to me, of all the AVAs, do really strike that balance. Is that what you find as well? Absolutely. I mean, we were never poised, as far as our vineyard's concerned, to make those sort of over-extracted, sort of jammy-style wines that were popular for a long time that are sort of... Um, you know, the, the winds are shifting, I guess, a little bit away from that. But we, you know, we're in the center of the valley. We, um, we're, we're very hot here. Things can sit out uh, longer on the vine. So they really have, a, you know, a, a chance to develop that, that deep, ripe, you know, richness, which is awesome, but uh, still have the fantastic acidity as well. Yeah, and for people who probably heard the term Rutherford dust, but if you haven't, you know, this is a term used to describe, you know, this area. And to me, it's, you get like kind of the dark cherries. And the, how would you actually describe the Rutherford dust? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think depending on who you ask, you always get a different answer. But I think for me, yeah. maybe that it's about being in the center of the valley. It's about being in the whitest point of the valley. So the fruit, you know, able to hang a little bit longer, sort of that cocoa, you know, flavor yeah. profile, maybe a little bit more of the red fruit, um, kind of to your point, the cherry um, combination. But it's just sort of that je ne sais quoi about what the dirt here produces. Yeah, that those are the the flavors I pick up, the cacao beans and kind of the almost like a very dark chocolate without being sweet and the dark cherries. But it's it's a really um, you know kind of unique terroir and, and flavor profile as you said that comes kind of being in that specific area um the other wine i wanted to touch on on the reds is the kith and kin because this is a wine that you know i've had again i've seen it on on restaurant menus by the glass from a bunch of hillstone locations um and i've even you know picked up the bottle a bunch of times at retail locations too talk about how this brand came about sure um 
Well, it came about because in 2008, of course, with the economy um, going into the Great Recession, uh, we thought it would make great sense to have a you know lower priced wine um, that we could offer to consumers. And uh, at the time, you know, because wine was uh, you know because the recession was going on, it would be we had access to some incredible uh, juice in order to make this wine. So we could really over deliver on the quality for the price point. Um, and so the idea was this, this would be a Napa Valley wine. We'd be able to get some great juice, add it to our own juice and sort of make this blended uh, beautiful wine with great value. And, um, and it's indeed turned out to be that way. You know, we've actually, um, we only ended up using juice from other places for I think the first couple of vintages and then, um, it became all estate and that made more sense, but it is a nice option that we can continue to do that with the kith and kin as we need to, um, depending on where things are. So yeah, it's just nice to have that great entry price point, um, and introduction to Rampon. Yeah. And I think it's like you said, you're getting an amazing quality too for, for the price point. And it's interesting that all the, fruit is now a state um and you know that can be a great option for people that uh that are on a lower budget or for younger people who want to move up to a really high quality wine away from like a grocery store wine or something like that or a, or a very low end uh type mass produced wine um so you know really interesting and like you said you know with 08 that was the the time frame that you know it was kind of a need and a necessity and it's interesting almost 10 years later over 10 years later we're we may be in that same spot where there's a lot of questions about um well just the entire global economy not just wine but every industry so it will be interesting to see how people and wineries adapt absolutely you know it, it's funny though because you i see conflicting reports where a lot of people are, are doing a lot of buying of wine because they're cooking more meals at home and you it's great because you can get it delivered with kind of like a no contact delivery um so you know i think there's a lot of bright spots uh, especially for the wine business um you know but we'll have to uh, we'll have to see going forward and we'll talk a little about you know, at the end here about DTC and some things on the business side, but let's uh, touch on the whites here. As you mentioned, Sauvignon Blanc, and, uh, and and you have a couple of interesting kind of late harvest ones as well. Yes, yes Sauvignon Blanc does really well in Rutherford, and uh, our our Sauvignon Blanc has really developed a, a great following. So it's something we love making and. Um, Basically, we do, you know, because we have the vineyard here and, and, you know, we can control our own vines and all of that, we can do many passes. And so we we do many pickings uh, of, over the course of harvest of the Sauvignon Blanc. So, you, you know, you end up with the great um, acidity and sort of tartness that you get in the beginning all the way to the last picks, bringing that tropical, ripe. Um, you know, gorgeous fruit flavor. And so you end up with a, just a really nice, well-rounded Sauvignon Blanc and get a lot of people who say they don't drink uh, white wines, they're just red wine drinkers. And then we give them a little bit of the Sauvignon Blanc and uh, and they sort of uh, convert over. So uh, yeah, it's a red wine lover's uh, white wine for sure. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. I'm looking at here on the website um, and you can... 
you know, you know, order it right there on the website. Um, and then, you know, you have also this late harvest Sauve Blanc. Uh, talk a little about that and also this wine made in a port style as well. Yeah. Um, well, that's been sort of my brother's dream was always to have a, a late harvest Avignon Blanc. And so we started making it a couple of years ago and we do it in very small volume, but um, you know, it's just a labor of love. We've got um, a small vineyard out actually right behind uh, my house and it, um, you know, Botrytis is beautifully every year um, and we bring it in and, and make just a, a small amount. Uh, and then the port, it was a really fun project. We, um, we don't do that every year. We just do that on occasion. But it, it, again, it was just sort of another opportunity to try something different and new and uh, provide a different offering for our consumers. Yeah. And um, some of those, whether it's a labor of love or kind of just a unique uh, one-off or something that's a really low volume or, you know, I think the wine geeks out there, or the the hardcore followers of Round Pond are, will always be interested in those kind of unique projects and things. So it's, that's kind of cool that you're able to do that as well. Um, now I'm looking here on the website and talk a little about the difference between kind of the wine club or, or how people can get access. Cause I'm seeing that some of the flagship wines are available. You know, you can just buy them right there on the website, but are the other ones um, you have to get an allocation or how does that piece work? Yeah. So for the wine clubs, um, they get special access to the smaller production wines. So Okay. that you can't necessarily get out in the market. And so um, that's special. We also have a, a gravel club, uh, which is an allocation style club for our highest tiers uh, of wine called the Gravel Series. And we make three different uh, Cabernet, 100% Cab. Um, and so in order to, to have those, you, you know, you join that allocation list. And so um, I'd say our most popular is the four bottle um club that we do and uh, it's been exciting now because we can offer you know we've always talked about for club members how can we provide them something special even if they don't live in the Napa Valley and can't visit that often and so now we're doing a lot of virtual tastings um, and are able to sort of provide that for club members as a special offering as well. Yeah and and I know you know with the inability to serve customers oftentimes in person and with what everyone's going through right now with the virus, you know, the virtual tastings can almost be just as good or if not better in a lot of cases. So uh, hopefully people will take advantage of that and check out some of the offerings. Um, talk a little about just, you know, let's get into the winemaking process and, and talk about the, the, the winemaker and the consulting winemaker. You already talked about, you know, it's a state fruit and kind of what you've been building with the program. But let's go, you know, touch on that a little bit more. Sure. So uh, we have John Wilson, who's our state winemaker, and then Thomas Rivers Brown is our consulting winemaker. We've worked with him since 2009, I believe is the first vintage. He helped blend the 08. And um, so they've been a great a great combination. John is, was actually a protege of Thomas's. And so they continue to work really well together. Um, and uh, really excited to see, to see this upcoming vintage. It's uh, looking stellar and uh, particularly good having been a drought year. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, Thomas Rivers Brown, a lot of people follow him and, and buy a lot of his wines. And, he, you know, he works on, you know, a lot of different projects and he has a couple brands of his own. And, um, you know, I think that uh, obviously people talk about, you know, the working with estate fruit or some of the best fruit being first. And then the second piece is, is the winemaker and that winemaking process. So, yeah, those are those are things that I think people seek out when they're when they're you know taking that next level to kind of ramp up their wine game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, it's all about selection and control, and and um, and those are sort of two big um, elements for us at Round Pond is just having the vineyards um, about 365 acres, and we sell you know 80 percent of that, but we can keep the best and. Uh, you know, and then you have um, great talent like Thomas and John in the wine, you know, in the winery who can um, really pull the best out of the fruit. And so it's an exciting combination. Yeah, and you mentioned this upcoming vintage as being pretty exciting with the heat. And but again, not having those heat spikes that we saw, you know, a couple of years ago all over California. So, um, you know, is this vintage it seems like it's shaping up to be a, a pretty good one. Is that right? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I mean, it really does look fantastic. We've had this unbelievable mild weather. And I have to knock on wood. You never know. Harvest isn't over till the last grape is in. But, um, you know, the concentration looks amazing because the, the crop looks, you know, relatively small compared to uh, most years. And then uh, with, with it being a drought year, you've got, um, you know, limited vigor and lim- limited water, which uh, for us, we do really well in those years. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what the result is. It looks like a great harvest this year. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people are really excited. And um, let's touch on a little bit about, you know, DTC sales. And uh, and, and for people who don't know, that's direct-to-consumer. Um, and, and a little bit about the business side of wine that you, you know, have been involved with for so long and kind of your thoughts about how um, – how that's going, especially during this time. Sure. Well, it's definitely been an interesting time uh, for us. We were actually this year was sort of the the year of digital. For you know, we started out with a big goal around that, and um, and that ended up you know just fortuitously to be something that um, you know we're all relying now, and I think everyone has had to jump into a lot faster than they they could have imagined in January. So the, the magic word is pivot. And so I, we've been spending a lot of time um, diving into digital, you know, whether that's virtual tastings or um, just trying to connect with our, our customers over e-com and, um, you know, via text and, and all these different ways. And so um, it's been nice to reopen the tasting room uh, of late. We do everything outside and we've got, you know, the, the luxury of having the space to be able to do that. So that's been a nice way to, to also reconnect with customers in the last two months. Yeah. And the, um, the interesting and exciting thing about, uh, you know, being able to have the olive oil program and the, some of the other gourmet foods that we talked about and the wine is that it gives people kind of another way to interact. Um, you know, I noticed there's some, um, 
recipes on the website too, which is really interesting. How how do you think about you know kind of bringing all that together to kind of add that value or have that next or extra step in there? Because a lot of other wineries they don't have that, which I think you know really sets you apart. Right. Well, one of our most popular offerings that we do in tasting room uh, is called our Il Pranzo lunch, so which is Italian, and um, you know that's sort of the perfect way to to sort of see everything that we do at Round Pond. It's um, all the food from our winery garden, and of course our gourmet products, and then all paired with the wines. And you sit on the terrace outside, and um, it's just sort of a magical way. And I, you know, I think that's how wine has been consumed for for ages it's not just wine it's obviously always enjoyed with uh the people you care about and and fantastic food so um it just seems like a natural yeah and i'm looking here on your blog um and you have you know a bunch of really great recipes and it's making me hungry the photos look so good actually all all the way from like uh different sweets like a carrot coconut bread you've got you know oysters barbecue sauce a cab merlot barbecue sauce which is really interesting so there's a bunch of content on here that people can interact with um and of course the barbecue sauce you know using the the cab merlot blend of the red wine vinegar um and which you know this one looks really delicious so if you're grilling up some meat or pork chops or ribs or something and you're pairing that with a wine that, to me, that's something that provides kind of that interactive element too, especially for people at home. Absolutely. No, it's great. And one of my favorite things about the blog is you can go and sort of say, okay, I want a cab or I want to have this olive oil and uh, it'll sort it for you and, and provide some, some options. So, you know, as you said, we're all staying at home more and cooking more. So there's just so many different options from the sort of very gourmet, fancy to uh, something easy like a, a great burger, you know, paired with a cab. Yeah, and I'm looking here at the um, harvest jambalaya, which is looks like a really hearty and really flavorful um, dish here. And then, you know, the ingredients here include the the uh, the Italian olive oil, um, which is the extra virgin olive oil. So again, there's you know there's ways for people to interact here. And like you said, you can sort to find maybe which wine will um, work better with, with something. And then, you know, I know people out there, they like to experiment too. And that's part of the fun with it. So, you know, maybe try a red wine with, with this one or a white even, I think. So um, it's got, it's got shrimp and things like that. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So lastly, let's get into just, I always, you know, ask guests about kind of what they've been drinking lately or any food and wine pairings and have a little fun. Um, you know, the weather's been so hot, but I still talk to some people that say it doesn't matter. I'm drinking Cabernet Sauvignon. So uh, what have you been uh, doing in the kitchen or eating and drinking lately? Yeah. Well, um, I guess I brought up burgers because last night we had, and we had a great burger. And then to your point, it doesn't need to always go with the cab. So we actually had some Sauvignon Blanc, and uh, nice. which, was, which was delicious. I'm sort of, I think it must be the weather, but I'm I'm kind of in a white phase. And um, so a lot of Sauvignon Blanc, a lot of Italian whites. I spent some time uh, in northern Italy a couple of years ago. And so we're sort of uh, hearkening back to that and, and drinking some 
Italian whites, which has been great. But, you know, we always love going back to the cab. There's just something about it, you know, especially when, when it gets cooler at night. And uh, it's just delicious. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate all the insight here. And for people that want to you know, buy the olive oil, buy the vinegar and, and buy some of these wines, we're going to have a link here in the show notes so people can you know, go ahead and check it out and maybe even cook up a couple of these recipes. Absolutely. Well, great. It's been really fun chatting with you. Thanks for joining us today. If you like the show, we encourage you to tell a friend. You can support the show by subscribing to our email newsletter for just five bucks a month. Find it on our website at goldenwestpodcast.com. In it, you'll find unique bottles from both popular and undiscovered winemaking talent, among other things. If you have feedback, find us on Twitter at goldenwestpod, or you can email us at goldenwestpodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, All opinions expressed by guests are solely their own and may or may not reflect the views of their employer or any other affiliated entity. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a basis for investment decisions or any other advice. Please eat and drink responsibly and thanks for listening.